When was the last time you had a dream, written on paper, and really believed in it? I'm Christina Carlson, founder of global Swedish design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. I'm on a mission to start a global dream life movement. I've set myself a huge goal of inspiring 101 million people to dream big and make it happen. And I want to inspire you to be one of those 101 million dreamers. In this podcast series, we'll be going on a dreaming journey with some of the world's most inspiring and interesting people. Join us as they share their stories and the lessons they've learned along the way. We'll be talking to incredible people from all walks of life. The one thing they all have in common is they all started with a dream. Welcome to the very first Dream Life podcast. We have got an incredible episode coming up. Dr. Terry Trent's story of dreaming and chasing dreams is without doubt the most amazing I have ever come across, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Terry was chosen by Oprah Winfrey from the tens of thousands of guests she's ever interviewed as her all-time favorite guest ever. In Oprah's words, Tara's story shows that you can have nothing, come from nothing, and still achieve everything you dream. Born into poverty in a war-torn rural Zimbabwe, married off at the age of 11, denied an education, a mother of four by 18, stuck in an abusive marriage, Tara was prompted by a stranger to consider and write down her seemingly unachievable dreams on paper which was a starting point for an incredible journey to making them happen. Her story is a triumph of the human spirit and the incredible power of dreaming. And hearing firsthand her wisdom and tips will without doubt inspire and move you to consider and write your own dreams on paper and then set out to achieve them. So let's get started. A very warm welcome, Tara. I'm so excited to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to be part of this today. Thank you, Christina, for having me. Thank you. I am absolutely in awe of your incredible story. And I would love you to talk through your story and really get us to understand how it all started. I was born in uh, a country that was known as Rhodesia, and today we are known as Zimbabwe. So I was born uh, during uh, the colonial era when we were uh, ruled by the uh, British, tend to be the Rhodesians, and uh, born in a very small rural area where there was no uh, electricity or running water. Even up today, we don't have electricity and running water. A very, very poor, uh, born during the war, grew up during the war, the war that liberated my country. Um, many kids had no opportunity to go to school, mainly because of poverty. And unfortunately, um, as, though, as though I was following the same pathway as my great-grandmother, my grandmother and my mother, I was married when I was very young. By the time I was 14, I was already a mother at 14 years of age. And all these women had been exchanged for a cow. So I was also exchanged for a cow. 
sometimes I hate to call it marriage because, you know, when you are exchanged for a cow, that's no marriage at all. Mm. But anyway, by the time I was um, 18, I was a mother of uh, four children and one of the babies uh, died as an infant because I failed to produce enough milk. It was a very um, difficult time for me, but I was very fortunate in many ways that uh, despite the challenges that I was facing, I was always surrounded by uh, these great women, my great mother, my mother, and women in the community who supported me. So it was like uh, a cadre of women helping one another. Uh, unfortunately, I was married to a very abusive uh, husband. And um, during that time, and even up to now, there is always this um, a societal agreement. I don't know whether to call it an agreement that women, for you to survive and to, for you to thrive, you have to be married. Yeah. So many women, we would find ourselves in these abusive relationships, uneducated. So you remain in this marriage, even if you know it's an abusive relationship. So I, um, I survived in that abusive relationship. It was horrible. The worst thing was my, my husband was a very jealous man. He didn't want me to have an education, even though I wanted uh, so badly to have an education because I had not received enough education. And I thought after seeing um, when we gained our independence and I would see other women and I would see Americans coming in, uh, carrying their books and uh, talking as though they're educated and uh, talking about the importance of education. When I was young, I never had a chance to go to school, never went to the kindergarten. So I would spend most of my time, it's either collecting firewood, carrying water, or going to the fields to chase the baboons or birds that were eating our crops. So, uh, and most of the time, because this was during the war, men, most of the men and um, younger uh, men would uh, leave the village running away from the war, either joining the war or finding employment in urban areas. So we would remain home as women and children. Um, and what was interesting was these men, when they left, they would only come home once uh, a year, like uh, during Christmas time. And uh, the only means of communication were letters, letters that would come to women, women who could not even read those letters. So the young men who were attending school would be the ones that would help the women to read those letters. And I hated with all passion. I never liked that. My aunt Chida, her husband had left and uh, he would write letters home. And my aunt did not know how to read those letters. And she would ask me, I think I was around six or seven years of age. She would say, um, can you accompany me? to get my uh, letter read. And I mean, I was excited to accompany my, my aunt because I was curious to know what my uncle had written as well. Mm. So we would find um, a young man to read the letter and my aunt would say, ah, I don't believe what this man has read. Let's go find someone else. So we'd go to a different direction and find someone to read 
my aunt would still say, mm, yeah, there are some things that uh, are similar, but uh, I don't totally believe. Let's find someone else. Up until we found a third person to read my aunt's letter. And by the time we went back to the village, I tell you, every Jack and Jill in the community knew the contents of those letters. Mm. Ah, oh, I could feel myself boiling because I could watch my own aunt crying emotionally because people are now talking about the intimate details of her own personal life. And I would go to my grandmother and my mother and cry and say, I don't want anyone to read my letters. I want to be able to read and write so no one can read those letters. That began the journey for me to desire education. That began mm. my, 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 my hunger for an education because I wanted to read and write. I wanted to be someone. I come from a long line of generations of women, women who uh, had been married very young, but also had their own dreams. So I have my great-grandmother. She was married off when she was very young. And my grandmother would go through the same thing as well as my mother. But all I wanted was an education. And when I reflect on these women, uh, all of them, they were very smart women. My, my grandmother was actually a traditional healer. She would deliver babies in the community. And so here I was, 18 years of age, without a high school education, and I wanted and I wanted an education and I knew that my my kids were also going to go through what I had gone through and I didn't want that. And a woman from the United States of America, she comes to the village because all of a sudden when we gained our independence, um, many from foreign countries were now coming into Zimbabwe. And uh, she found me sitting in a circle with other women. Her name uh, is Jolak, but I didn't even know her name that time. So Jolak came to the village and found me sitting in a circle with other women. I think there were about 12 or 15 women. And um, we were just discussing our normal uh, chores and just, you know, talking about uh, what we can do. And so she she comes in and she joined us and she sat there and I'm just looking at this woman, fascinated because I had never seen um, a white woman uh, coming into the village and sitting with us. And especially mm-hmm. um, the way she sat she sat on the on the ground and uh, and then she asked us, "What are your dreams?" Wow! And I had never had anyone asking me my dreams before, and I am thinking, me, a poor black woman uh, who had been uh, oppressed, living in an abusive relationship, 
what kind of dreams and hopes do I have? And she kept on asking, uh, what are your dreams? The other women had talked about their own dreams. Uh, They wanted to make sure that their kids are educated, their kids, they have um, school uniforms, um, they have shoes. And, And I'm thinking, I don't want to talk about the education of my children. I want to talk about my own education. And she looked at me and she said, you have been quiet. And uh, what are your dreams? And when I opened my mouth, I said, uh, I want to have an education. And she said, what kind of an education? And I said, I want to have an undergraduate degree and I want to have a master's and a PhD. Wow. And uh, she looked at me and she said, if you desire those dreams, they are achievable. And I am thinking, really? Because at that time, I did not have a high school education. And I am thinking, how, how in the world am I going to have a PhD? And I think she saw doubt in my eyes. She said, yes, it is achievable. And she kept on using the word um, tinogona in my language. It means it is achievable. And she actually said, if you make mental notes um, in your mind and you believe in your dreams, they are achievable. And so the other women who were sitting in the circle, they were looking at me and thinking, oh my goodness, how can she say that? Because they knew my husband was very abusive and they knew I didn't have uh, a high school diploma and and Jola confirmed in, in, a, in a way that inspired me that I can have my, my dreams. Mm. So I ran to my mother and I said, Mother, I met this woman. She made me believe in my dreams. And my mother said, write down your dreams on paper. And if you believe in your dreams, you will see them grow and grow. I come from a culture where when a child is born, the elders of the village and usually the female elders, they would uh, snip off the child's umbilical cord or the birth cord and they would tie that birth cord in, uh, in in a small cloth and bury the umbilical cord deep down into the ground with the belief that when the child grows, wherever they go, whatever happens in their life, the umbilical cord will always remind them of their birthplace. So my mother said, the same way we bury the umbilical cord, write down your dreams and bury them deep down in the ground. Wherever you go, despite the abuse in your life, the dreams that you would have buried would always remind you of their importance. So I was ready to go and bury my dreams. At that time, I had only written my four dreams to go to America, to have an undergraduate, to have a master's and then a PhD. And as I was about to bury those dreams, my mother said, would you mind to read back your dreams? And when I did, 
he said uh, something so profound. And I think that changed my whole life in many ways. He said, your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of your community. Mm. And I had no idea what my mother was saying. So I looked at my mother. My mother was a very quiet woman. And she repeated the same thing. Your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of your community. So I would end up writing my fifth dream. And uh, I said, uh, when I am done with my education, I want to come back and improve the lives of girls and women. So the girls, they don't have to go through what I had gone through as a child. So I would go and bury my my dreams, including that 50 dream. And my mother would say, um, if you achieve these dreams, not only are you defining who you are as a woman, but you are also defining every life that comes out of your womb and generations to come. So I realized in that moment that my mother was handing me an inheritance. And I also realized in that moment that my mother was helping me to see my past, but also to see a better future for myself, to believe in my dreams, and also to realize that I needed to break this cycle of poverty in my family as well as in the community. So it would take me almost eight years from the day I buried my dreams to the day I then achieved my uh, high school diploma. It took me eight years and I call those eight years of failing, but also eight years of never giving up because I didn't have... um, I didn't have to go to a normal school because I was an ad, I was an adult and I needed to do correspondence and to do correspondence you have to get your own um textbooks and 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 study and uh, that time because we were still under the British rule our education system was under the British a system in many ways. And uh, so I had to write my exams and send them to a place called Cambridge and then wait three, four months to get my my results. And um, in many, many times I would find I have um, a U, which is ungraded. Sometimes I have um, a D or an F failure. And I would go back, try to find more money. My mother was a subsistence farmer. So she would uh, sell her maize and ground nuts um, and help me with my tuition. And I would write again and send my paperwork to, to Britain and wait up until eight years and I had now achieved my high school diploma or high school education. And I would um, find myself after completing my high school education, 
in a very difficult position. I wanted to take my children with me to the to the to the United States. I didn't want to leave my children behind, but my husband was very abusive. So he said, you're not going with my children. If you want to go to America, you go by yourself. But I wanted to change the lives of my children. So I begged him. And um, after about a year of waiting, he finally agreed, but on the condition that he would come with me to the United States. And I said, well, okay. Mm. So I... um, I I ended up uh, being short of um, money to come to the U.S. Um, So I needed about $640 for my airfare. I had managed to buy tickets for the kids uh, and I was short. So I went back to my community and um, my mother talked to the village head um, and everybody in the community, they contributed uh, some money by selling goats and mangoes and uh, any fruits that they could find, chickens, and um, and raised the money that I needed. And so I found myself at Oklahoma State University in 1998, and uh, I accomplished my undergraduate and um but it was tough because here i was um without any scholarship at all i was an international student and i didn't qualify for for scholarships because i was an undergraduate student student usually scholarships are given to graduate students and so i would end up uh working three jobs uh, to maintain the kids as well as to pay for my tuition as, and my uh, accommodation. Uh, it was tough because I was taking 16 to 17 hours of coursework and taking care of the children. Uh, there was a time when I realized my kids were, when they were brushing their teeth, their gums were bleeding and, um, oh gosh. And I went back to the university because I realized that they were bleeding because they were missing fruits and vegetables. And I knew I was overfeeding kids with uh, French fries and hamburgers in, uh, in America. That's the cheapest food. I couldn't find fruits and vegetables. They were a little bit expensive. Yeah. So the university said uh, there was this guy at the university who was the vice president of student affairs, Dr. Ron Beer, and he said to me, you know, you can go to the local store. They will probably give you some leftover fruits and vegetables, and I hope you don't mind feeding your kids these fruits and vegetables that are... Usually at the end of the day, they throw them away because they are no longer fresh. And I said, no, I would need, I don't mind. So we went to the store and the store manager says, no, we are not going to give you the fruits and vegetables because if you feed your kids and if anything happens, uh, you might end up suing us. And I said, no, I have no money to sue anyone. Please help me so I can feed the kids. So he would say, 
to me, okay, here's what we are going to do. I'm going to put the fruits and vegetables in a cardboard box and I'll place that cardboard box outside near the trash can and make sure that four o'clock you come and pick the your fruits and go and feed the kids. But anyway, I had um, 16 hours of uh, coursework, uh, three jobs, um, 99% of the time I was late to that uh, cardboard box and I would find the cardboard box into the trash can and I would retrieve the fruits and vegetables from the trash can, wash them and feed my kids. And And I think what grounded me most was just to think that who am I to complain that I am feeding my kids from trash can when I knew there were probably thousands, if not hundreds, of um, uh, children in sub-Saharan Africa who live on the streets without any food at all and sometimes eating from dirty trash cans. And I would also say, who am I to complain that I live in a trailer house because we didn't have uh, proper accommodation. And in Oklahoma, they have these trailer houses and ours was dilapidated. Um, the rain would come in and um, I would find myself with the kids in one corner up until the rain is over. Uh, but those were for me things that I realized the pain was worth it because I could see the end of the tunnel. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. So when I finished my undergraduate, I went on to do my graduate. Uh, my undergraduate was in agriculture and I did my uh, graduate in plant pathology, which is the same field as agriculture. I come from a subsistence farmers. I wanted to do agriculture. Uh, plus I grew up with my grandmother who was a traditional healer. He would, she would take me to the forest to look at all these medicinal plants. So I was so much uh, in tune with, um, with uh, agriculture and with plants, with medicinal plants in general. And so I wanted to focus my life on um, on agriculture. And so when I was done with my master's, I, uh, it was just too much. Um, uh, the kids did not have, um, the things that they wanted. So I thought, well, let me take a break and look for a job. And I did. And I, applied and got accepted uh, in uh, a small city, Little Rock, in Arkansas. Um, and I realized the organization was Hefa International. And as I, one day I was just walking into this um, passageway and I see this woman, she looked at me and she said, I know you. And I am thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, and I realized it was Jolak, the same woman wow. that I had met some 14, 15 years ago. Wow, that is just incredible. And she said, yeah, you are from Zimbabwe. And I said, yes, and I said, yeah, I know you You buried your dreams. Um, and I said, yeah, I, I wrote down my dreams 
uh, because she had inspired me also to think about my my dreams. And so I uh, my first trip back to Zimbabwe with my job, I I went to that place where I had buried my dreams and dug them up and checked uh, going to America, attaining my undergraduate, my master's. And I had to rebury uh, my dreams because I realized there was the PhD as well as the giving back to my community. So I came back to the United States and I enrolled myself at Western Michigan University, where I uh, then achieved my PhD. I realized it had taken me 20 years from the day that I buried my my dreams to the day that I was now walking to that podium to receive my PhD paper. And um, it was such an incredible feeling. Wow. Because I felt like a lawyer that I addressed my case to the world to say that if we only believe in our dreams, they are achievable. And if we only believe in the dreams of women and believe in their education and believe in giving women an opportunity to achieve their education, it is the best investment that any country or any society or any individual could do. Uh, because I truly believe that women have been left out. Women have been silenced. And we have a moral obligation to help women. So when I have set myself impossible dreams, mm-hmm. I remind myself um, what you have done is just so incredible that I think any dreams is possible after hearing your story. But I'm assuming, and and I meet a lot of people uh, out and about, and uh, they often tell me that they have self-doubt. So Mm. I'd love you to talk about how did you do, because I'm assuming you would have had some self-doubt because your dreams uh, would have seen absolutely impossible. Um, How did you deal with self-doubt? You know, I always talk about um, this um, sports that they call relay, where you have a team of four or six runners and uh, they are running in this relay and they are holding the baton. The aim is to pass on this baton to the next set of runners and they run and they pass it on to the next up until they finish the rest. So for me, when I think about fear, I would always think about this race. My great-grandmother was born into this race, this relay, and she was born holding what I call the baton, the baton of poverty, the baton of illiteracy, the baton of early marriage. And she's running so fast in this race, and she hands this baton to my grandmother, the baton of oppression, the baton of poverty. And she runs with that 
baton, and she hands that baton to my mother, the baton of illiteracy, the baton of early marriage. And my mother runs and she hands over the baton to me. I never wanted to be part of that baton. So when I think about fear, whenever I wanted to give up, I would always think about this relay, this rest. It would help me to talk to my fear and say, I don't want to pass this baton to my baby girls. Yeah. That helped me. I think the way to deal with fear is to face your fear and be able to talk to that fear and be able to remind what that fear has done to you, what it has done to generations before you. When we avoid fear, then we are playing right into fear, increasing our own vulnerability. I talk about my own vulnerability because I realize it is my source of strength. And so I have to really confront my fear and write down what I am afraid of and what that fear has done to my life. So that helped me in my in many ways for me to move forward with my dreams because I knew where I was coming from. Given your own children have gone to university now, how does it feel to know that you broke the cycle of poverty and lack of access to education for your family? It's, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling that um, I have broken the baton I am a very visual person, so when I see my my kids excelling and in, in doing their, you know, academic work or attending universities and whatever you, I always see them holding a different baton, a mm. baton that I have helped redefine, reshape, and I see them. As they hold that baton, they are running with a baton of artists, business women, engineers, and they are passing that baton to my grandkids and to my great-grandkids, but also passing the wisdom to other women. That is just such an amazing story. And I think this is a story that a lot of our listeners will have to re-listen to over and over when they are feeling like giving up because having that dream that you had or the dreams that you had and then 20 years later achieving them is so incredibly inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so grateful. Thank you very much for that. So after I uh, I achieved my PhD, after I walked that podium, felt like a lawyer, and um, I felt empty because I kept on hearing my mother's voice. Your dreams will have greater meaning when they are tied to the betterment of others. I didn't have any money. I had achieved my PhD and I was still struggling. And I am thinking, how on earth was I going to achieve that fifth dream? How on earth was I going to... Uh, give back to my community. Dear mother, why did you ask me? 
to write about that fifth dream? Why do mm. you keep on coming back? Then I realized, my goodness, this is sacred. This has never been about me. And I started thinking about what business can I put in place so I can go back and build schools, so I can do something and improve the lives of women and fulfill that fifth dream. And I remember Jola when she was in the village, when she said, it is achievable. She used the word Tino Gona. And I said, I'm going to design my T-shirts. Mm. And I'm going to have the word Tino Gona on my T-shirts. And I am going to sell these T-shirts and make and sell millions and go back home with enough money to build schools. Well. I only sold 20 T-shirts and mostly to my American friends. And I realized that, well, I only have an agricultural degree. I don't have a marketing degree. I was, de- I was so devastated. I, I didn't know what to do. And, uh, and I kept on say, thinking, my dreams are throbbing. They can't be throbbing deep into the ground for nothing. And I kept on thinking, and I'm just overwhelmed. When one day I got a phone call from the Oprah Winfrey Show, and she donated $1.5 million and named me her all-time favorite guest. Mm. And I knew my mother was right. My grandmother was right. My ancestors were right to say if we plant our dreams, we bury them with the belief that they will grow and grow. And if we create the fertile ground, not only for ourselves, not only for our dreams, but also fertile ground for other dreamers out there, that's success. Mm, Wow. What an incredible story. So today we have 11 schools going on. From ECD, early childhood development, all the way to high school, 60, um, 12th grade. And we have kids that are performing much better and um, compared to their urban um, counterparts. And some of our students are already in universities achieving their own dreams. And I look back and I realize Had I only thought about my own dreams, we would not probably see the results that we are seeing. And I think the Native Americans and all the indigenous of this world, they have really taught us to believe in the greater good. Humankind is not woven the web of life. We are one thread within it. Whatever we do to the thread, we do it ourselves. All things are bound together all things are connected. We are here for a purpose. Wow, that is just so inspiring. I am sure that a lot of our listeners are super um, inspired to have heard that you've been on the Oprah show. So I'd love you to just talk through what that experience was like. Oh, I think it was one of the most amazing experience I bet <laughs> in my life um, even up to now 
I I can't wrap my my head and understand it. Um, all I can think of is uh, Oprah. Um, she illuminated my my dream, but in many ways, she was helping me to create a bigger platform to reach to more women. But she was also illuminating the platform for women to say to uh, women and men, girls and boys, you can dream big and you can believe in your dreams. They are achievable. And I think she echoed that and I still feel that in my bones because I work with her and um, and I've watched how she she believes in humanity and I uh, you know it's it's amazing to be in her presence it, 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 it is it is yeah and um, she invited me to her show. Uh, she had heard about my dreams and she asked me about my next dream. And so I shared with her my uh, fifth dream and she donated $1.5 million towards that fifth dream, which I am now calling uh, the sacred dream because I realized my mother knew all along that it's not only about our personal dreams in life. It's not only about our financial dreams in life. It's not only about the monies that we have in our banks, but it is about how our financial dreams, personal financial dreams are connected to the greater good. That's the recipe for success. All along, she knew about it, and I had no idea, and now here I am, uh, sitting and, you know, with Oprah and looking into her eyes and she's looking into mine and she's saying, I'm going to donate $1.5 million so you could fulfill that dream and you could build schools and you could have girls also attending schools and you can also empower women and all kinds of things. And I was so happy at that moment I felt whole because I knew the universe in many ways had responded to my dreams. Wow. I can I can share with you a story that I don't normally tell people, but um years back I was in New York and um Oprah had invited me uh, to attend um, Women's Summit in New York, Women in the World. And um, she was um, introducing me as a hero and what have you. And then she asked me, because we were having our, um, uh, our makeup done, and she asked me, uh, so what's next, Terrorai, for you? Uh, I see your schools are being built and all these things happening in your life. What's next? And I was thinking, oh my goodness, um, should I should I tell her what's next? And I said, yeah, you know, I am um, 
I'm thinking of uh, writing a book and I've already started writing, but I would love you to do the forward for my book. And Oprah looked at me and she said, I don't do forwards. And I, I felt so bad because I thought, oh my goodness, here's the woman who has done so much for me and I'm asking again for a forward. And um, in that moment of my brokenness, <laughs> I, uh, I looked into my bag and I saw a yellow notepad. You know those yellow stickers? Yeah. And I just wrote on that yellow pad and I said, He Terrorai, this is Oprah Winfrey. I read your book. Oh my goodness. I love what you have written. I'm going to do your forward. And I folded that small note. And I went home and I and I put it in my pillow. Mm, wow. You know, the part of the pillow that you don't wash. I opened that and I sewed back my pillow. And I would have that uh, note in that pillow for the next two years. And um, so when I finished my book, my publisher said, do you... Um, do you think you can find people who can do your forward? And I said, well, I'm thinking maybe Oprah might help. And uh, they said, Oprah, she doesn't do forwards. I, I, we only know of two. We don't know if she'll do it. And so I, um, and I, and I, and I called and I said, Hey, um, uh, I have my book. Uh, can you do my forward? And um, he said, no, I don't do forwards. And so she read the book and uh, I had given up on her. And it was six weeks before publication, uh, publishing the book. And I was coming from, I think, um, from Jakarta. My flight arrived in Zimbabwe very late. And by the time I went to bed, it was past midnight and 2.30 a.m., the phone was ringing, and I I hesitated, and I'm thinking, who is calling me? And I looked at the phone, and I went back to bed, and the phone rang, and I picked the phone, and the voice was, hey, Terrarai, this is Oprah Winfrey. I read your book, and oh, my goodness, what breaks your heart? Where did you get that? I also read about the great hunger. I read about the invisible ladder. And she's saying all these things that were part of the manuscript, and I couldn't believe it. And she said, girl, I'm going to do the forward. <laughs> that is just incredible. I couldn't believe it. What did you do? Did you just scream of excitement or did you couldn't believe it? I was blubbering and I, I, I didn't even know what to say. And, and she said, this message is so poignant. This message is needed by everyone in the world. And I am thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And three days after that, she delivered the forward. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's just so inspiring. And I I really truly believe that dreaming comes first and not thinking about how it's going to happen because obviously you you didn't know um, if she was going to do that forward or not, but kept dreaming no. about it and thinking about it and writing about it and um, it came through. So, wow, so inspiring. Both of you are such a powerhouses, uh, both together. How about Jo Lack? Do you have any contact with her now? Yes, we do. In fact, uh, we have shared one or two, I think, two speaking platforms. Um, uh, we talk to each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. She's an amazing and incredible woman. Um, I I owe her my life because if I had not met Jolak, I think I'd still be back in my village and maybe by now I'd be dead from dead from HIV and AIDS. I don't know what would have happened to my life. Uh, she 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 believed in me, you know. Yeah. It takes courage to find another woman or another individual believing in you and saying, yes, you can do this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. I have actually, um, in my book, I talk about having a list of 101 people that um, mm. you want to meet. And I have put Jo Luck on my list. So I'm one day oh. hoping to, to meet with her. <laughs> oh, she will be so thrilled. Yeah. She lives in um, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. I'm so curious about your kids now. How old are they and what are they doing now? Oh, my kids are all grown up. Uh, the last born, she's uh, almost 22. Yeah, uh, wow. She's in college. Uh, then I have another one. She's uh, 20, 20, 26. Uh, she's uh, at Western Michigan University. She's doing biomedical sciences. And I have um, uh, my son. He's at um, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas is doing um, a biology with communication uh, and I have uh, a daughter. She she is uh, a baby now, so I'm a grandma. Uh, she graduated with a mechanical engineering degree and uh, I have, um, gosh, another daughter. She's in South Africa. Oh, my kids are everywhere. They are all grown up. <laughs> Wow, you must be so proud. Yeah, and they must be so incredibly proud um, and grateful to what you have done um, to their life. Oh, no. they I mean, they are the ones who, um, they give me hope uh, because, um, gosh, you know, I, I always uh, say to my kids that um, I hope you're not going to pass the baton or you're not going, you're going to pass the right baton to my, grand, mm. to my grandkids. So if they can do that, oh, they would have done a brilliant job. Last question. So as you know, both of us are so into the power of dreaming. So I'd love to ask you the last question now about your dream, your current dream. And what would you do if you knew you could not fail? What would you do if you had all the money, time and knowledge that you needed? Um, create employment opportunities for rural women because women are silenced in many ways, disempowered, forgotten. And I and I want to create that platform so women can be employed. And I say that because 
the women, the rural women that I work with, I live with, they also want to see their own children achieving their dreams for better education. So when we graduate our kids from high school, the mothers and grandmothers are finding themselves at a loss because they cannot send these kids to higher for higher education. And the girls, they normally uh, get to stay at home because of the poverty of their mothers and grandmothers. So if, um, if I can create employment opportunities for women so we can all be in a position to educate more kids, that's, I think that would be fantastic for me. Mm, what a great dream. Thank you for sharing. This is such a, a, an amazing story and it's just so inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing with us and our listeners, uh, but also for your wisdom and all the things that you, you do for the world. You are just so special and such a wonderful person. And I'm so excited to be working with you um, to uh, create a better world. So thank you so much for sharing. And I cannot wait. One of my dreams, as you know, is to sell one million copies of my book because of each book, I will give you one US dollar per book sold. So my dream is mm, to uh, sell one million uh, copies so I can hand over a million dollars check. That will be an incredible dream mm. come true. So I'm going to work very hard to make that dream come true. So thank you so much and, and thank you for being part of, of our podcast. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And um, it's women like you who make the world a better a better place to live. And uh, it's, it's just amazing to hear you say that, that um, you want to donate one million dollars to our cause yeah we'll definitely make it happen i'm very excited thank you me too thank you very much yeah well wasn't that just amazing what a story and what an amazing person i am so inspired and i hope you got as much out of listening to her story as i did I'm so proud to be donating a dollar for each book that I sell to Terra's foundation. I particularly loved hearing her experience of how powerful it is to have your dreams written down on paper, something I have experienced myself and I would love you to experience that too. It's something I believe in strongly and have focused on in my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here. It's well worth reading and exploring for yourself to help create your dream life, whatever that means to you. But overwhelmingly, the big message that I took from Tara's story is that no matter what your circumstances are, you can achieve everything you can dream. I really hope that our first episode has left you feeling inspired and excited to chase your own dreams. If you haven't got a copy yet, I encourage you to get hold of my book and the dream life journal that I have created to go with it which is the perfect place to start if you want guidance to help you on your journey of uncovering and chasing your dreams. And a great place for you to start now is to check out my 101 Dreams audio guide online at kiki-k.com forward slash dream life. It's a really powerful exercise from my book where I guide you through the process of opening your heart and dumping ideas for dreams on paper that you can sort through later. 
I've helped thousands of people around the world with this exercise, and I think you'll find it a great use of your time. If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful, please help us to spread this inspiring message to even more people by posting about it on social media with the hashtag 101millionDreamers. I would also love you to leave us a review, which will help us inspire even more people. I would really appreciate your support with my big crazy dream to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams on paper and go and chase them. Finally, I am so excited to announce our upcoming Dream Life Masterclasses in Melbourne and Sydney in late October. Join me live with Dr. Tara Trent and the remarkable Olympic gold medalist Alyssa Camplin Warner for a magical three-hour event where we will all share much of what we all learned about chasing and achieving dreams. Find out how to get your tickets via the podcast show notes. I'd love to see you there if you live nearby. Until next time, don't forget to dream big and chase your dreams. Bye for now.